Welcome to the Make It Count podcast. This is episode 14, and today we are going to do another book interview where we interview the book. Yeah, because obviously last week I was interviewing a book that Matt's read, and you know, via Matt. That was really good. Uh, we both liked that book. Yeah, Design Your Life. Awesome book. This week we're reversing roles, and I'm going to be interviewing a book that David has read. Yeah. David, what's the book called? Oh, I wanted to answer a different question. I want everyone to know how difficult this was for me. Because mm. so far, I think I've read more than 60 books. I had to spend about 10 minutes to narrow it down. And even then, I only narrowed it down to eight. And I was like, this one or that one or this one. So I finally got down to this one. I could have spoken about 10. But it's The Heart of Success, Making It in Business Without Losing in Life by Rob Parsons. Sounds from the title, like a really relevant book to our podcast. Mm-hmm. And sidebar, a little bit of a humble brag there. Oh, this is so hard to narrow it down. Yeah. Hey, I'm a reader. <laughs> what can I say? It was hard. I mean, to be fair, I managed to get rid of like 30 books because they were fiction books. Okay, so know. not so much. Not well, one day maybe, maybe, but not today. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about the book? Yeah, well, I was wondering, maybe people don't know who Rob Parsons is, mm. but he he now has a charity called Care for the Family, which is really, well, he's an influential author and international speaker, quite well-renowned, quite well-respected. His heart is for helping people who have, are in, was it families that are broken down? I think that's sort of a big part of it. Yeah. And they're hurting in those spaces. So... He, he was trained as a lawyer, I think, for a number of years, and... He worked we've... as a lawyer, didn't he? Yeah, I think he's he worked. Successful lawyer at a practice. Business, consultancy, all sorts of stuff, so he's he's lived a lot, he's written a lot, and he's done a lot, and so he's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in business and in life, mm. I think, and so that allows him to come along and write this book about the heart of success. I like it because he, he tells it through sort of an allegorical story of this student who is studying at uni and he sees this professor and they start having these weekly conversations about what does it look like to actually be successful. Hmm. So, you've told us a little bit about who Rob Parsons is mm. and uh, what the book kind of looks like in terms of how it gets its message across. Mm. In those conversations between the professor and the student, could you maybe get us to the main message? What is the crux of the heart of success? I think the big question is, what is success? Mm. And many people haven't asked that question or even identified what that is. So later in the book, he says, a lot of people don't realize well imagine imagine an olympic athlete you know they train for four years they wake up early like five o'clock in the morning they're going for the running they're controlling their diet they're everything to do it imagine if they did that for 40 years and then at the end they said they were told no there's no winners there's no medals Hmm. and that's how a lot of people approach work they commit everything to it for 40 years and at the end there's no medal. Just leave and go home. You just leave and go home. Wow. That is a stark picture, isn't it? 
that's a really helpful image of that. Sports is a wonderful illustrator on life, isn't it? So, the key question he poses is, what is success? And that's, yeah, and so there's seven sections. He says seven laws, actually, right. of, of making it really a successful life, mm. the heart of success. And I think the first one is just the one we could spend most time talking about. So don't settle for being money rich and time poor. Wow. And I suppose that's really challenging for us who live in a very wealthy nation, materially, and specifically in the part of the country we live in. It's very wealthy from a money point of view, and people are always rushing around, poor for time. Yeah, so he basically says those people, they are the new poor. And he talks about how this huge industry has grown up around basically harnessing that money such that you, you, you're working all the time, so you have time, so you hire someone full time to be your lifestyle manager who's going to arrange everything in your life. He's going to do the presents for you, the all of these other things, because you're money rich, but you don't have the time to do those things. Is that an actual thing? Do people actually do that? Apparently. That's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've heard of, like, hiring a gardener or going and doing someone to do your laundry, but or your whole life. Or or whatever. Wow, you know? that's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. And so the line, the quote, I think, that most encompasses this is, these people have a very high standard of living, but an appalling quality of life. Could you help us to see maybe a little bit what the difference between those two are? What's the standard of living compared to the quality of life? Yeah, so I would say the standard of living is, you know, you've got the big house or the really nice things, the, maybe you've got a second house, mm. uh, you've got the really nice cars, you've got the newest, most expensive clothes. It's like, oh, that standard of living is like right up there. Mm. It's hard, very expensive. But your quality of life is usually measured quite differently. And I think we would say that your quality of life is about a richness of experience, of relationships, of, of connection. Mm. And, so yeah, I think that would be the difference. And I think a lot of people go, oh, I will, I want to live at a higher standard of living. So I will mm. work harder to earn more money. But actually they're paying with the quality of their life. That's really interesting. So I suppose it's almost the two different domains of with, with a standard of living, you're still very much talking about things. Mm. And with the quality of life, you're very much talking about relationships. Mm. And interestingly, he basically said, Time poverty can be quite difficult to identify for those reasons. Because, hey, look, they, they, uh, they have all the nicest things. They have mm. the good presents. They probably go on quite a lot of holidays. Yeah. And, and expensive ones. And it seems like they've got it all together. That's fascinating. And also, added to that mix, and it probably is all in the same jumble, busy is a mark of is a positive mark in much Many of society. Success is yeah, busyness, is, right? I am needed. I am important. You can tell that because my time is in demand constantly. Mm. And so that's what he said, you know, but often there is this hurried, this hassled lifestyle. And I suppose I don't know about you, whilst we have this busyness as a, 
at a high point, like, oh yeah, I'm so busy. Like, when was the last time you ever met someone? I said, you know, I've got quite a bit of time actually. <laughs> I don't know, I've ever heard anybody say that. <laughs> but, but we also don't really like that hurried, hassled. Mm. I think of it in terms of, you know, you going to the airport. Like, that's, you know, you don't want to be late, but you always kind of just cut it a little bit finer than you think you should. Mm. And then you feel hurried and hassled. <laughs> and none of your experience is fun because of that or enjoyable and, no. and you're not present. And that's, that's why, uh, you know, for those extra half an hour before you left, you could have left earlier, but, but actually yeah. we put ourselves in these positions where we live frantically. Mm. So that was law one. Mm. Are there any of the other laws that stood out? Oh, a lot. But I think just before, because there are lots of things to do, I think, that we could action out of just law one. Okay. You know, about money rich, time poor. Mm. And and many people will be listening to this, and maybe they're thinking, what am I going to do with my future, with my career? Like, what does that look like? Because I think looking at the culture of certain professions is really important. Mm. And so he comes from this background of lawyer, and he's like, well, I spoke to, uh, and it's, the book's 20 years old, but this agency, they expect new lawyers to put in two and a half thousand billable hours every year. How so, much does that work out to? Uh, it's a lot. It, and we could work it out roughly, but it's more than you would want. And, and their expectation is that many times they're going to be working to the early hours of the morning. Wow. And if they burn out, okay, they burn out, then uh, we'll fire them and we'll get someone else in. And so if you want to go into law and becoming a lawyer, that is a bit of the culture of that role, of that job. Gosh. And so you have to think, is that something I want? Because, yeah, you might be getting 50, 60 grand a year straight away, but actually, in terms of an hourly rate, probably you're not as well off as you think. Yeah, wow. Interestingly. So I, it just looking around and going, hey, these are people 10 years into it, 15 mm. years, 20 years into it. Are they time poor? Are they time rich? Are they living the life they want to live? Mm. And, and that's one of the things. I mean, I went for an interview at an organization 18 months a year, two years ago. Oh, it's two years ago. Two years ago, wasn't it? And I remember it was, you know, I'd got through multiple layers of interviews and, you know, basically <clears> I was <throat> talking to the manager that I would be working for. He'd been working here for 10 years and I looked at him and I listened to him and I said, I don't want that. <laughs> like I'm not interested in having a life that looks like that. And that is the trajectory. Did you say that to him, or did you say that in yourself? No, no, yeah, I did. I mean, like, I don't want to be you or like you. Like, yeah, no, don't worry, I didn't. <laughs> I say thought that. that was like a. He presented it all to me, and I turned around and said, "I don't want that life." And walked out. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. Uh, uh, that would, that's that. That's not healthy. Uh, <laughs> it's not wise. So a lot of them are, uh, are different things like that. So door one, you know, don't settle for being money rich and time poor. I liked number two as well, and maybe we'll come to law seven at the end. But law two, believe the job that you do makes a difference. Ooh. And he talks about his dad, who was a postman or a postie mm. or whatever we went to call him. Uh, Post deliverer. Exactly. But he, he, you know, and it was after, I think, World War II, I think that was the right time, 
He, he was a, he worked for the Royal Mail his entire life, delivering letters. And there was this element of like, oh, he could have done more. But he remembers talking to his dad the one time and his dad sort of said, hey, I work for the Royal Mail. I deliver letters that mean that businesses, that the military, the government can run. He found that he was doing a job that could make a difference. Yeah. It was good for other people. And sometimes we might turn our noses up at that, but actually we all want to do something to make a difference. I, and, and I know, I think this has always been something really, really important for me. I remember at school having to do a presentation. I don't know if I've told this story before, but it was on something that I didn't know what to talk about. So I ended up, I'll just do it on like, public transport most boring subject in the world i don't know why i don't know if i was thinking like oh like a critical piece relevant blah 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 man i did not believe in it and believe in it and so i went up and it was an awful presentation because mm -hmm. i didn't believe in it and so for me to do a presentation to do a speech to do a talk i had to believe in it and i think doing a job that you believe in mm. Do you think this makes a difference? Yeah. And there are ways of framing it. And sometimes you, we maybe can't have that idealistic, maybe there's no perfect job. But actually, when you do a job that you believe in, I think that just makes a big difference. And that's what his law too was, do a job that you believe in. And I suppose it can help you, because every job's going to have bits where I don't really like that part of the job. And then also people involved. There are challenging situations, but if you ultimately can come back to, this is my why. This is why I'm here in this organisation, doing this. Who am I serving? What's the greater purpose? That can always bring you back to, ah, oh, yes, I get it. There's that quote, is it from, um, it might be John Gordon or Maxwell. It's like, people don't burn out because of what they do. They burn out because they forget why mm. they do it. Yeah. So we talked about two of the laws. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, before we touch on Law 7 you mentioned, I think we, we should get there, is there anything that surprised you about this book? I don't know about surprised. Maybe, well, yeah. This bit was quite good. He goes, because we've all heard it, this idea of no I in team. Mm. He said, they got the spelling right, but they got the philosophy wrong. Because every great team is made up of brilliant individuals. Mm. And, and it sits within this idea that most people haven't been given the opportunity or created the space or had the opportunity to discover what their X factor is, what their unique natural skills are. Mm. And he talks about a football team and he's like, you know, I'm yet to see a manager who's trying to get the goalkeeper to swing in these perfect crosses. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's like, no, because the goalkeeper has a unique set of skills mm -hmm. that makes the whole team better. And, and I think so much of how we interact with people can easily be trying to make people like us. As in, 
like us in our image almost rather than like oh i want you to like me no As i like try to make them become like yeah we are. become a little david matt yes what well, you should become like david you know and and so in doing that we don't draw out the strengths we don't go oh i see that that's really good in you i'm going to help you see that and, and it's find different that. And, and that's diff- fine and that difference and obviously we talk a lot about mm. diversity and things like this but i i just like that idea of yeah Great teams are made up of brilliant individuals that come together. Uh, so I liked that. I think that surprised me because, yeah. Also, we, we don't like that idea of like an ego or, or whatever. Maybe that's more of what that phrase is about, but mm. yeah. That's good. And I think that, that can be a helpful tonic, can't it? Mm. In that sense of the, in making it count. We've talked about finding a team of people to go on that journey of finding a greater cause. It's not just a case of everybody grits and does the hard stuff. It's like you position people well to do what they're great at because they'll do something effortlessly to them and it would be the work of three people if you put other people that weren't suited for it on. One other thing that surprised me a little bit I think it surprised me because he said a lot of people will look at someone who's been in business, made a lot of money for 20 years and go, hey, what's the secret of your success? He basically said, we're using the wrong word. He said, we should say, what's the the secret of your achievement? Because we look at them and say they're successful. But actually what we really see is their achievements in business or in a professional career. And often there is a cost to that achievement Uh, the cost being family or their own personal health or all these other things and so we should actually not say what is the secret of your success but actually what is the secret of your achievement i thought that's quite interesting even just that one word it does highlight that discrepancy between what we're not an all-encompassing thing it's a one Mm. one factor of their life that's very interesting Mm. okay do you want to touch on law seven i can do it do it. And, and I think I may have told this story before, but basically he says, don't just strive for success, strive for significance. Mm. And that famous Alfred Nobel who invented dynamite and <laughs> he, uh, he had the unique opportunity to read his own obituary pu- published in the newspaper because the newspaper saw that his brother had died, wrongly assumed it was him. And so said, hey, you know, inventor of dynamite dies. He is a merchant of death and <laughs> has caused mass killings and all of this stuff. And he looks at us and goes, is that how I'm going to be remembered? Mm. And so he has this moment of going, no, that's not how I want to be remembered. So he used this vast wealth that he had to really put money into the arts, into the science, into peace. And now we have the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. And you get someone like Nelson Mandela receiving it. And we don't remember Alfred Nobel as the inventor of dynamite, but as the guy who created the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. And so we have these opportunities to strive for significance. And sometimes we need to look a little bit beyond the now and go, in the future. Mm. And and that, I told you that story. There was a guy, basically, who saw his whole life change on a birthday. Turned 65, 
has this retirement party. 200 of his colleagues around. You know, he's got all these wins here, like filing, you know, cabinets full of victories in the business world. And uh, they do a little speech for him and give him a clock. A bit ironic. And then he walks out. And that was it. That was that was the not winner's medal at the end of the race of working for 40 years. A clock. And, you know, they, they said they would see him for months. Three months afterwards, walking along the front of the building, trying to get people to remember who he was. Wow. Isn't that... And so I suppose, for me, this whole book is, what are we working towards? Because you can't win work. Mm. Work is important and valuable and it has a place in this world, but you can't win it. And I think that's one of the sort of key things here is, what are we working towards? What are you living for? How are you going to apportion your time? How do you want to live in those moments? Those are massive questions. If Rob Parsons was sitting here in this room... Mm. You've read his book. Is there a question that you would ask him? Any lingering question? You've read the book. Oh, I'm not sure about this. Or even, a, a, I'd like to challenge you on this. What's a, is there a question would you I would ask him? Would I challenge him on? Yeah. I think the, the challenge is going, well, I don't know, necessarily. I, mean, I would probably ask, like, if he could send one law back to his 25-year-old self. Mm. Which one would he send and why? That's a great question. Well, and and then I would, as a follow-on... probably got his email address, so probably... As, as a follow-on, <laughs> I'd probably ask how he thinks that would have changed his life. Ooh. Well, I look forward to hearing how that conversation goes. <laughs> <laughs> So today we've been interviewing the book, The Heart of Success, Making It Business Without Losing It in Life, um, by Rob Parsons. Thank you, David, for sharing with us some of those laws. We touched on law number one, basically don't be money rich and time poor. That difference between standard of living and quality of life. We talked about believing that the job you do is important. And that really ties with Law 7, which is striving for significance, not just success. And it really ties in with lots of the conversations we've had. Going it with others. Relationships are important. And finding out what is that greater cause that is significant. And where do I then fit into that? Thank you guys for taking part. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode, what the, these kinds of episodes. We'd love to hear what you think about this book. Again, would you recommend people buy this book? Oh, totally. It's very easy. It's relatively short. I think it's under 200 pages. It's very easy to read, very accessible, very worthwhile. I suppose if you want to hit one of us up and see if we can borrow the book, we're happy to do that. Ooh. If you're not, you feel free to buy it. Um, you can probably buy it from their website, can't you? CarefortheFamily.org. Care the they have a load of good books, and um, they're, they're doing a great also, work. Also, not sponsoring this podcast. No, <laughs> we. I suppose it's just that thing of we're doing a book book review. If people want to get hold of the book, it's worth worth doing. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening and we will see you next time.